Beautiful, Micah, beautiful. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, Reverend Jason Warren Griffiths. This is a place where we are worshiping Jesus Christ, living out the Father, God's love, transforming community by the Holy Spirit. It's April 30th. Can you believe that? Holy smokes. We got a couple announcements and we got we got inserts and bulletin stuff to prove it. Um, on May 2nd, that's Tuesday, back here, 6.30 p.m., sanctuary. Um, if you can't physically make it to the building, join the church in prayer for our session and our, just our congregation for wisdom and insight on how to go forward. I was at a pastor's retreat earlier this week, and while I was away, session was doing the business of the church. And a couple of our session members, Amy, who's going to be preaching, and Terry said, hey, let's get people together. It's always a good idea to pray. We can't do anything apart from it. So 6.30 on Tuesday, May 2nd. And there's a beautiful little insert with the blue one. And then if you turn that over on May 7th, there's the first Sunday of the lunch. The students are putting on a spaghetti lunch and there's a there's a bigger flyer we can make copies of that and have that so you can bring it home but this is just so we can have an idea rsvp say hey i'm gonna come maybe bring a couple extra people as a person who worked at camp for five years this is absolutely crucial and essential so um I want us as a, this local outpost to say, if you want to go to camp, don't worry about money. Because we want you to experience camp. Who, who in here has been to a camp, Christian camp, some time in their life? Who in here, that changed them a little bit? I don't know if you read Billy Graham's Just As I Am. He was told by God at Forest Home that the Bible is the word of God. Imagine if he had never heard that. Imagine if he had never gone to that camp. Anyway, camp, absolutely essential. Let us know if you're coming. And enjoy some spaghetti. What's the spaghetti recipe? Ooh. Spaghetti and bow tie, and I've heard bolognese. And Alfredo. Okay. Back to today. Later today, there's going to be a bounce house out here. And it's uh, Dia de los Niños, the day of the uh, the children. Yeah. We're celebrating kids, Casa de la Ferreira. There's going to be a taco truck. And I don't know if it's a taco truck. I think it's just a taco cart. Um, And then also on Saturday... This next man, everything's happening, right? Saturday of this week, we have a women's half day retreat. And you come to the church, lunch is provided. Just give my wife, Malia Griffiths, at Gmail a heads up that you're coming by Tuesday because that's when they're going to order the food. And then, yeah, that's happening. And then next week, there's uh, next Sunday is the marathon. 
So you might want to plan just to leave a little bit earlier or be a little later. <laughs> you know? And that's not the end of the world either. Um, I think that's it. Is that it, everybody? Is somebody missing something? Oh, there's right after this service. Thank you very much. Up until I discovered donuts, my favorite food was strawberry. We got every strawberry there is out there. Uh, So right after the service, we celebrate Strawberry Festival. And somebody asked me right before the service, where did this begin? And I think it just began, uh, strawberries were cheap. Well, let's eat a lot of strawberries. Is that correct? That sounds good to me. All right, would you please stand for this morning's call to worship? And I'm going to be reading portions of Psalm 101 from the Passion Translation. Lord, I will sing about your faithful love for me. My song of praise will have your justice as its theme. I'm trying my best to walk in the way of integrity especially in my own home, but I need your help. And then later, at each and every sunrise, I will awake to do what's right and put to silence those who love wickedness, freeing God's people from their evil grip. I will do all of this because of my great love for you. Let's worship the Lord.
Before I get started, uh, inside your flyer or inside the brochure on the back of one of the inserts, also next Sunday because we have a busy weekend, the first Sunday lunch is being hosted by the youth ministry. Um, If you're available to um, come after service, we would love to host you for a pasta lunch. If you can, if you can give us your name and maybe how many people are coming and drop it off today at the information table, that would be great. If not, that's fine. We'll still see you next Sunday. Um, We're also still fundraising to get the kids to camp. So if normally after church you might go to In-N-Out, maybe whatever you would give to In-N-Out, you would donate to the youth. Or if you go to a steak lunch, whatever you donate for the steak lunch, you you know, whatever you'd like to do, we'd be more than happy to. Or just bless us with your presence and we can serve you. We would love to do that. Okay, so this morning, uh, Galatians 2.20. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus couldn't have been resurrected without first being crucified. And the same is true for us. We won't be able to rise and live again unless we are crucified to ourselves. So what does that mean? What do we need to give to Jesus today? Uh, What behavior, habit, thought do we need to crucify today? Do we gossip? Do we have um, negative negative thoughts towards other people? Um, Do we have any kind of sins that that we wrestle? I mean, we all have a sin. Any sin we might wrestle with that we need to crucify and give to God today. Come as you are to Jesus and give him permission to transform and renew your life. That's the good news about Jesus, amen, is that even in our sin and with our weaknesses, he still wants us to, we don't need to fix ourselves and we're not expected to fix ourselves. We come as we are to him and we just present it to him and give ourselves to him and he'll fix it for us. All right. Hallelujah. Um, I'll pray us out, and then the children and the youth will head back. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together this morning. We pray that you be with the youth and the children as we as we speak to their hearts and fellowship with them today and with the rest of the families in the sanctuary. And you bless all of our time together. And we thank you for those who are serving us this afternoon. And in your son's name we praise you. Amen.
I see. 
all my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God. pastor in San Antonio, and one of the associate pastors was 
doing the prayer confession right before um, the head pastor was going to preach or whatever. And I remember this associate pastor looked and he said, his name is a really big sinner. And he's really far from God. He didn't stay in that church very long. <laughs> but he, what he was saying is true. Uh, just reviewing Romans, the, the, I've been looking at it just in personal time. Um, just an amazing book by Paul. Or, yeah, it's actually a theological treatise. Um, he starts with general revelation. He says, you know, there's n- no one can ignore that there's a God. Just look around you. And then he goes into specific revelation, and before doing so, in Jesus Christ, he, he first thinks of everybody who's not Jewish, and he says, you can't think your way into the presence of God. You can't argue. You can't outsmart anybody. And then he turns to his fellow Jewish brothers, and he says, we're not going to get grandfathered in. Now that there's a specific revelation of Jesus Christ, he's put in the forefront a huge truth. And he says, and he quotes old, the, the scriptures. He actually quotes the psalm and he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is the part of the service where we, in our Reformed tradition, remind ourselves, don't get too big for your britches. Like the children's message, like Erica was talking about. You still need to die to some stuff. Bonhoeffer, he says, the call of every follower is from Jesus himself. And the first call is to come and die. I'm going to pray for us and confess on our, all our behalfs, but bow with me. Lord, Heavenly Father, we confess we do stuff we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we know that you called us to do. I pray that you would bury that part of us this morning. I pray that as we walk on this journey together and confess our flaws together in our brokenness, you would bury all of our death, bury all of those things that separate us from loving you completely and loving you fully and living out your call. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray this. And all God's people said, it also says in Scripture, when we are faithful and just 
to confess our sins to the Father. And I would add through Jesus Christ and, and through the Holy Spirit. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that's a mighty long distance. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven in new creations. Let's sing glory to our Father.
Good morning. Today is the one, two, three, fourth Sunday of Easter. It is also Good Shepherd Sunday. Um, fun fact sheep are really good listeners. Is that true, Pastor Sharon? Sheep are really good listeners. They have to be, right? They have to be intently attuned to their shepherd's voice to keep them safe, to lead them to food and water. And similarly, we too need to be attuned to our shepherd, our Savior's voice. That still small voice that tells us right from wrong, truth from untruth. And that still small voice that gives us insights to things that we would not have insight to. Now, I know we've all heard it. Since God gave us two ears and one mouth, we should listen twice as much as we talk. Yeah, that one's a hard one for me. (laughs) Today, I want to share with you a little bit of my Lenten journey. This Lenten season, I found myself thinking a lot about the disciples, particularly what they went through after Jesus died. What did their grief feel like? What did their sorrow feel like? Their their disbelief. One moment they were having the Last Supper, and the next moment Jesus is arrested And he's rushed through this sham trial. And and then he's on a cross and he's crucified and he's, he's dead. I thought a lot about that. And I believe that in slowing down enough to observe what the disciples went through, that informs us as we go through our grief experiences. Remember that the disciples, as they're grieving, they have no perspective of the resurrection yet. Jesus is still in the tomb. Today, we can trust and rely on God's promises that our dark circumstances won't last, and we will eventually move through our grief to joy because, because, Today, we have that perspective of the resurrection and the empty tomb. We're going to read from John 16. Prior to where we pick up the verse today, Jesus is in the midst of teaching his disciples. He's trying to help them understand what is about to happen. Soon he will no longer be there. Soon he will be gone. They won't have him. But Jesus tells them, once he is gone, the Holy Spirit will come. And there's an urgency as Jesus is trying to communicate all of this to his disciples before his arrest. And in verse 12, just before we pick up the text, he says to them, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. He's sensitive to what they're about to go through. 
So let's pick up the text, John 16, verse 16. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. This is Jesus talking. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They said, What does he mean by this, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing amongst yourselves what I meant when I said, A little while, and you will no longer see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. This is the word of the Lord. Will you please pray with me? Lord of all creation, we praise and honor you this morning and thank you for this new day and the hope we have because of your resurrection. Lord, focus our hearts and our minds on you this morning. Open our ears to listen for your still small voice. Help us to pause and ponder the humanity of your disciples as they grieved your death. I pray that you will transform the words from my mouth to be truly your words for each one of us today. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior. Amen. A little while. In a little while, Jesus says, you won't see me. And in a little while, you will see me. Seven times, seven times in these five short verses, this phrase, a little while, is repeated. A little while may be referring to a season, a season like a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Seasons, by definition, will end. They cannot and do not go on forever. If you've experienced trials in your life, and I'm looking around, who of us haven't? Then you know the night will come to an end, the darkness will not last, and God's mercies are new every morning. If you are experiencing a trial right now, please know it will not last forever. Circumstances will change. The dark cannot stop the light from coming. And what you are going through right now will only last a little while. A little while ago, I emerged. A little while ago, I experienced a season of significant losses. It started benign but traumatic with my son graduating college and moving off to London to get married. 
than just after my aunt, who had lived with me for 21 years and been my helpmate, died suddenly of a heart attack. Then came my mother's diagnosis and suffering from ALS and her eventual death. Then I lost another aunt. I lost a 60-year-old cousin. I lost another uncle and aunt, a 60-year-old friend, my therapy dog, Spice, and then finally my father, who died from a broken heart. It's taken the better part of the last several years for me to process through all of that loss. And I imagine that it's the cumulative effect of all of that grief that met me this Lenten season and left me pondering what the disciples went through. I couldn't stop thinking about them. What were they feeling? How were they dealing with Jesus' death? How did they feel when they witnessed their friend, their teacher, their hoped-for Messiah die such a tragic and gruesome and untimely death? I've heard it said that the deeper we love, the deeper our experience of grief will be when our loved one dies, especially when that death is sudden and unexpected. The disciples gave up everything, everything to follow Jesus. They believed that he was the promised Messiah. They believed that Jesus had come to establish his kingdom on earth. But then the Roman authorities arrested him and rushed him through a trial and crucified him. How does that even begin to make sense to these disciples? How does that make sense? How do they process that? The passage of Scripture that we read is from the night that Jesus is arrested. It's after he's lovingly washed his disciples' feet. And he, he continues to try and tell them he's going to die, that he's going to be glorified. But the disciples remain confused. What does it mean, in a little while we won't see Jesus, but then in a little while we will see him? If Jesus is the promised Messiah and his disciples believed that he was, then what does he mean he's going to leave? Jesus had just spent the last three years with his friends, his band of disciples, traipsing along the countryside and doing ministry. And Jesus is trying, he's trying to acknowledge his friends' confusion, but he's also trying to assure them, we're about to go through something awful, something heinous, but I promise you, I promise you, I will not let your grief Stay there. Shortly after Jesus' death, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. It's unclear. Scripture is silent. Who of Jesus' disciples helped Joseph prepare the body? 
But what we do know is his body was lovingly wrapped in clean linens and laid to rest in a new tomb. And when they left, a large boulder was rolled across the entrance to the tomb. Following the death and burial of Jesus, his disciples scattered and went into hiding, alone and confused. Jesus was dead. It's not a stretch to imagine that the disciples may have been in denial. Who wouldn't be after this very strange set of circumstances, particularly those disciples that had not witnessed the events of the crucifixion. It may be very difficult for them to have come to terms with this. They may have been angry also. Angry at Herod. Angry at Pilate. Angry at the crowd. They may have been angry at Jesus. They watched him do miraculous things. He brought Lazarus out of the tomb. But he didn't use his miraculous powers to save himself from the cross. Undoubtedly, they were huddled together in the upper room or someplace safe, in shock and disbelief. Did this really happen? Is Jesus really gone? Their profound and collective sadness would have left them feeling isolated and alone. I wondered, did Peter feel guilty for denying Jesus three times? Did any of the others question whether they could have done something more? Could any of the disciples have done anything differently that could have changed the outcome? And how afraid they must have felt if Rome did this to Jesus? What was to become of them? Were were they next? How could they possibly be expected to carry on the ministry of Jesus without Jesus? On the night that Jesus died, life for the disciples became uncertain, filled with fear and filled with sorrow. In her book on death and dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross explores the five stages of grief. The stages are not sequential. They're not consecutive. They can be repeated as you're going through the grief process. No two people grieve the same way. But note the similarities to what the disciples may have gone through. Stage one is denial. 
This can't be happening. Stage two, anger. Why did this happen? Who is to blame for this? Stage three is bargaining. Oh, Lord, make this go away, and I will fill in the blank. Stage four is depression. I can't go through this. I'm too sad to even function. Stage five is acceptance. I acknowledge that this happened. And I acknowledge that I cannot change it. In the three days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, there was hardly enough time for the disciples to process through denial and depression and anger and even bargaining. But it wasn't necessary for them to get to acceptance Because the greatest miracle of all time was just around the corner in a little while. But in this place, anxious and in hiding, the disciples are grappling with their grief and attempting to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is gone. They've buried him. They've wrapped him in linen cloth. He is not coming back. And things will never be the same. The tears, the weeping, the wailing all help to express our pain and our sorrow. One of the most comforting verses of scripture that I have tucked away is Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know how we ought to pray. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. When we're in that place of darkness and despair, when we can't even form the words to pray, The spirit that loves us intercedes for us to God with groanings too deep for words. The disciples didn't yet have the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the theology of the cross. And they were held captive to their overwhelming pain and grief and sorrow Sorrow that was born from disappointment. What they had hoped for would no longer come true. The disciples thought that Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah who was to bring the kingdom to earth as the scriptures foretold. The disciples thought that Jesus had come to establish his reign on earth, but now he was gone. To say that Jesus' death was a disappointment does not embrace the gravity of the situation. Sorrow, too, comes from witnessing evil triumph over good. In the passage, Jesus tells his disciples that they will weep and they will mourn while the world is rejoicing around them. 
I wonder, did Herod rejoice? Did the Pharisees rejoice? Did the crowd rejoice? In the days leading up to my mom's death, after she had been put on hospice, she had fought a a hard fight against ALS, but it ravaged her. What I remember most was the depth of my grief, but the sun still shined and people were still going on merrily. The world kept going, and it felt surreal to me. It was a difficult scenario to navigate, and it left me feeling alone and isolated. Honestly, I didn't think I would ever be happy again. But then three years later, when my father was put on hospice during COVID, the pandemic had changed the world, and the entire world was mourning. It was a decidedly different grieving process for me, because as I was hurting, the whole world, millions of people were hurting alongside of me. I wonder, is that phrase that misery loves company true? But I digress. Jesus doesn't leave us in our grief. The second half of verse 20 comes the promise. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us today, that we will have grief in this lifetime But through Jesus, he will turn our grief into joy. Notice that he does not say he will replace our grief with joy because nothing can replace those hurting places in us. Jesus says that he will transform our grief into joy. And that transformation comes from Easter That transformation comes from the resurrection, momentous and significant to every one of us in here today, even 2,000 years later. Every year on Easter Sunday, we bear witness to the day when the darkness could no longer hold back the light. We bear witness to a new day and a new hope. We bear witness to a Lord who will not leave us alone. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. And each one of our lives has been transformed. After the resurrection, the disciples still had a tough road ahead. The difficulties that they would encounter are unimaginable. And we too, we too have had and we will have seasons that are devastatingly painful. And they're going to be filled with tears and mourning and grief and sorrow. The difference for the disciples after the resurrection and for us today is that our pain can be viewed through the lens of the cross 
the victory of the empty tomb. God conquered death, and because he conquered the cross, he gives us hope. He gives us hope in the midst of our tragedies. Grief and loss and death no longer have the final say. And God reminds us in Revelation 21.4 that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more mourning. And there will be no crying and no pain because the old order of things have passed away. When I was in training to be a chaplain, the most important lesson I learned was to listen. When folks around us are in pain, they don't need to hear, this too shall pass. They don't need to hear, God will never give you more than you can handle. They don't even need to hear that one day Jesus will transform their grief into joy. They just need you to come alongside them and listen. It's called the ministry of presence, just being there. Most people are uncomfortable with death and tragedy, They don't know what to say. So instead, with all good intentions, they avoid the hurting people because they don't feel like they have the right words to say. But my friends, there are no magic words. To just say, I'm sorry, and sit with somebody who's in pain to listen, that is the greatest gift that you can give. And I urge you, do that even when the person says, I'm fine, I don't need any help. Go anyway. Listen anyway. Trust me on that one. If you're in the midst of a tough situation right now, you need to know that Jesus went to the cross for you. He died for you. He loves you that much. Jesus understands the pain that you're going through. And he cries alongside you. Hang on to Jesus when the world feels frightening and doesn't understand your pain. And lean into the Holy Spirit who will embrace you and intercede for you with groanings too deep for words. And remember that as painful as this situation is that you're going through. It is just a season. It will not last forever. 
and in the way that only Jesus can do. He will transform your grief into joy. One day, in a little while, gradually and absolutely. Will you please pray with me? Holy and risen Lord Jesus, write these truths on our heart, the truth that you will never leave or forsake us, the truth that in conquering death you do turn our grief into joy, and the truth that one day you will wipe every tear from our eye and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain in a little while. Amen. Thank you very much, Amy. Um, this is a time of the service where we offer back to God, and we don't pass the plates, but that doesn't mean we don't offer back to God. Um, this is the time when, as this song is playing, it's we continue in worship. Maybe God needs to transform some of that suffering to joy.
And maybe that's where you just need to sit still and receive. Maybe it's a time where you offer up your doubts. Like the disciples. What does this look like? What does it look like for God to take care of me? However it be, Scripture clearly states, as we offer, do so with gratitude. Make sure some of this time is spent reflecting on those times that he's brought you through. Maybe times that he has transformed that suffering to a joy. And for those of us in the sanctuary, your tithes and offerings, you can leave them in the baskets on the way out. For those of you listening on the podcast, you can send them to Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, P.O. Box 2128, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. This morning's offerings and tithes are now received. Stand in your presence to 
my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak at all, I can only imagine, I can only imagine. I dance for you, Jesus, pouring all if you be still. Will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only Please pray with me. Heaven, uh, Heavenly Father, as we, our minds are filled with pictures of being in your presence, we pause once again and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for taking care of all of our needs. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We lift up these ties, these gifts. We pray that you would bless and empower them. That you would be acknowledged as king in more places in this world. We pray all this in the mighty Son of Jesus, uh, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, and all God's people said, "Let's sing doxology together." Jesus said, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. We are Easter people. We believe, and therefore we come. We hunger, and we come to the one who will satisfy our hunger. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for bread, would give a stone? Or if a child asked for a fish, would give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so we come with our prayers, with our requests, with our praises. Pray with me. Oh God, your goodness surrounds us like the waters of the ocean. Your mercy envelops us as the sun warms our days. Gentle spring breezes remind us of your tenderness. Claps of thunder and storms remind us of your might. You bring order out of chaos. And you offer forgiveness with the promise of new life. Be present with us as we approach your throne with our prayers and intercessions. We praise you for your work in our midst, O God. We are thankful for your comforting presence during times that try our faith. We know we can trust you. We need only rely on your guidance. Grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us do. We pray for your holy church and all its branches and for every member. In congregations large and small, may joy and gladness be found as in thanksgiving voices are raised in prayer and song. We pray for our country and for our governments, national and local, that justice may be fulfilled and that all citizens be led to contribute to the common good. Curb the violence that we see so often in our society. Help people to see the sanctity of human life and the value you place on every individual and to respond in like manner. In Sudan, the death toll continues to rise, with thousands injured as the fighting continues. We pray today for the innocent civilians and children caught up in the fighting. We pray for the governments and the peace efforts that they may bring an end to the fighting and a permanent ceasefire. Loving God, we humble ourselves and pray for this church and its impact in the community. We pray for a spirit of love and outreach to flow from this place. We pray that the community around us sees this worshiping community and comes to join us. We ask for new ideas and challenged hearts. We ask you to hear our prayers for our ministry. 
God of grace, in Jesus Christ, you entered the sick room with healing and in the streets responded to the cries of the helpless. Continue his work in us today, we ask. We pray for all who are here with special needs this morning. May they experience your presence and feel their burden lightened. We pray for those we may have overlooked for whatever reasons, the lonely, the sick, the forgotten. Give us compassion to reach out to comfort them and show them your love. Grant to all who need it healing of body, mind, and spirit through the ministries of the church, the medical profession, and the health care institutions. This morning, we ask you to be with Phil Hughes, who's been hospitalized, for Ruth McKelman as she heals from a fractured leg, to be with Patty and Lisa Ernest, with Buzz and with Lou. Give to each as they have need. Eternal God, your kingdom has broken into our troubled world through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. Help us to hear your word and obey it, that we may become instruments of your saving love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now would you please stand as we sing our closing hymn, O Jesus, I Have Promised.
So I urge you all to join us in the fellowship hall for strawberries and some nice conversation. On behalf of our session and our pastors, Terry and I invite you please to come on Tuesday evening at 6.30 for prayer. We will be diligent to get you out by 7.30 and home before dark. God is doing something here, and we want to be very attuned and attentive and following his path, not our own. If you can't join us at 6.30 on Tuesday, please be praying that hour with us from wherever you are. So I leave you with three notes. The first is listen. I think all of us can afford to hear that again and again. The second, if you are in pain right now, know deep in your heart that the Holy Spirit's already at work on your behalf, interceding with groans too deep for words. And I urge you, when you see somebody hurting, saddle up next to them. Just your presence. You don't need any special words. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and as you go out these doors and into your week. May it be so.